Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Say amen. Well, I'm glad that we live in a country where we can come together, where we can worship together, where we can lift up the name of God together. Amen. Praise the Lord. I am thankful for America. I'm thankful for this country, the best country in the world. It's a fact, actually. And uh, I, I really mean that. I'm grateful for this great nation, the men and women who give so much so that we can be free. Our founding fathers who uh, came from Britain, who left tyranny, uh, who started colonies and wanted to to live in a country where they could, they could live without uh, religious oppression, uh, where they could have uh, no longer, they could be free from taxation without representation. Wow, what a thought there, <laughs> But so many things, and they came over here. Can you imagine these brave men and women uh, leaving one place, coming to another place that had been unsettled, coming here and forming government and coming together and uniting together? And what we are reaping the benefits of that today. We are. Think about that. Someone who is brave enough, someone who is bold enough to leave a safe place, if you will, and come to a place that they didn't know and settle there. And uh, you and I are reaping the benefits of that today, a place that we call America. And how everyone has tried to pattern their form of government now after us. And people want to be us. And those that have traveled, military men and women can attest to this. Or if you've traveled, you, you know that there are a lot of people around the world who want to be like us in the West. They want to dress like us and talk like us. And especially us here in Texas. You know what I mean? They want that Texas twang. And so... Um, it, it, America's a great place. Can I get an amen for that? It is. Um, if you don't like America, you're not going to like this church. I'm just saying. Um, we're, we're very patriotic here. We, we appreciate so much, again, all that our men and women do in the military. Um, and, and while we're not necessarily in a what we would define as a war, let's not forget that there is still a war raging on that is very real. The Bible talks about this war. It is a spiritual battle. Amen? It's a spiritual battle. And while I haven't dived yet into the message just yet, I just want to speak to this because you are in a fight for your life. Dad, Mom, you're in a fight for your kid's life. If you don't think that you are, turn on the TV. Go to social media. Uh, any type of social media. Snapchat and Instagram and all the other things that I don't even know about that are out there. Um, go out there and see, Dad and Mom. You're in a fight for your kids' lives. Parents, can I get an amen? Uh, if you don't think that you are, you're deceived, and your kids are going to be snatched out from under you. So, parents, it's time that we take our rightful place in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters, as heirs of the king, amen, and we lay claim to our children. They do not belong to the devil. God did not give them to Satan. God did not give them to him. He gave them to us. And if we're not good stewards raising them, the world will be a good steward of it. And the world will say, all right, if you don't want your kids, we'll raise them for you. Thank you. Let me get an amen right there. But that was as true as the truth can be. But I think there's a lot of parents in here that you realize that you are in a battle. And so we are in a spiritual battle for our family's church. Grandparents, you are in a battle for the life of your grandkids. 
If you don't have kids in here and you're single, you're in a battle for yourself. You fight for yourself. And if you're not fighting for somebody else, you're fighting for yourself and other people at times. We are in a battle. There's a spiritual war that is raging on. And I believe that the devil knows as much as the church knows that that the time is drawing near where God is going to tell Gabriel, blow that horn. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but he's going to blow a trumpet. And the Bible says that the skies are going to split wide open. And Jesus Christ is going to come riding on a horse with a multitude behind him. Amen. The Bible calls this the rapture of the church and he says he's coming back for us soon amen soon and very soon we shall see our king and we're in a spiritual battle and the devil knows that his time is running out so he is in a full court press for our souls for our lives to destroy us to kill us to derail us to distract us but church jesus christ has given us the x factor he has given us the holy ghost amen he has given us his living power inside of us it tells us god's word says that the same spirit that raised christ from the dead dwells in us can i get an amen Think about that. The same spirit that brought Jesus back to life dwells inside of us. And he's given us that power for life and and transformation. And we can live a victorious Christian life. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. Come on, touch two people say, get ready, get ready. Amen. God is getting ready to do great big things. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you have the Bible app. You can open that on your phones. By the way, go ahead and turn your phones on the silent if they aren't already. Galatians chapter 2. You'll notice in the Bible app and on the screen, it starts with verse 11. But what I'm going to ask him in the back to do is to jump with me to verse 17. Just for time's sake, uh, so I can carve out uh, some more time for the content of God's word. uh, And to clarify where we're going today. We're just going to jump to verse 17. While you're finding Galatians 2 verse 17. We're in week two of our series, Amazing Grace. And so what Paul is addressing to the early church in verses 11 through 16 is he's talking about that he noticed that Peter was having a lot of dinners with Gentiles and that when his Jewish friends came along, Peter acted real Jewish real quick. This giving you the brief version of what Paul is saying. This is what he's saying. He's telling this Galatians, the Galatians in, in Galatia, he's telling them, here's here's what was happening. I found Peter, and Peter and I had a confrontation. And as his spiritual father, if you will, I had to set him straight. And so Peter was doing what we believed that we were called to do, is to have these dinners, to have these meals with the Gentiles, so that we could show them that that everyone is welcome. Amen? Do you remember last week that, that grace is for everybody? Somebody say everybody. That's right. The, the pie of grace, everybody gets a, the, an equal piece of it. And Paul was saying that Peter and I had this confrontation, and Peter was having these meals with these Gentiles. He was hanging out with them, and that's okay. And he was expressing God's love to them. But when his Jewish friends came along, he got real Jewish in a hurry and acted like he didn't know who these Gentiles were. And and today, you and I would call this hypocrisy, hypocrites, hypocrites, whatever you want to call it. That, that, that Peter, in a way, was starting to be this hypocrite, and, and he was his Jewish friends would come along, and then he would start using his these and nows, his Christianese, real quick. 
And today we see that in God's church, not in this church, amen, but we see it in God's church today that, that there are hypocrites, there are people that that they carry Jesus around with them. They wear Jesus like a coat and they want to claim that they're Christian, but, but, but the minute that their Christianity is called into question or it's put in the spotlight, they freeze like a deer in your car lights. What do I do? And, and so Peter was addressing this, this thing called hypocrisy. This thing that today that we call hypocrites, and we would say that someone's a hypocrite, or that they're living in hypocrisy, meaning that they're claiming that they live in this one life, but they don't really live that life. They like the idea of the life. They like the idea of the cross. I like to wear a cross around my necklace. I like to put a fish on my car. I got me a Jesus, cool Jesus tattoo right here with sun's out, guns out. When it comes out, I flex and the fish is eating, you know. I mean, I like all of that stuff, but, but man, when I really have to bear my cross, I don't know that I really want to be a Jesus freak. When I got to take a stand for Jesus, I'm out the dough. A hypocrite. Now, do you know any hypocrites? Don't raise your hand because you might be sitting next to them and that's who you're thinking of. But but maybe we know hypocrites or maybe we're the hypocrite ourselves. And, and the truth today, church, is that, that I believe what God is doing is he's weeding out. Does anybody else have weeds in their yard? Or am I the only one? All right. You got these weeds and no matter who you pay or how much you pay them or how much work you do yourself, these weeds come back. And weeds can grow in the dead of winter. They'd be freezing outside. And and weeds find a way to grow. I don't know how they grow, but they just grow. And these weeds come up, and, and you can put down the, the liner in your bed, in, in your flower beds. Anybody else do this? You line your flower beds with this real thick black tarp, and those weeds find a way to puncture a hole through it anyways. And weeds find a way to grow, and, and they find a way to infiltrate into your beautiful yard. And, and, and man, you, you just spend your whole life fighting these weeds, and, and sin is that way. It's like a weed. It just it finds a way to grow. It finds a way to come back. Sin is, the devil is great at comebacks. He comes back every day. You know, you defeat him on Sunday, and Monday, he makes a comeback. Come on, somebody. Paul was speaking to this idea of hypocrisy, and he's saying, listen, and here's what I believe God is doing in his church today. He's allowing the world to have their voice. Now, let me say this real quick, just for clarification, so you know in your heart and true theology. Because I've heard this said recently in light of what I spoke to last week in the Supreme Court's ruling and those sorts of things. First of all, church, let's not be surprised when this stuff is happening. Let's not be in shock at all. Can we let that go? Amen. Jesus, read your word. He says, in the last days, men will become lovers of themselves. And the church is like, we take these big gasps every time. And we're like, this is happening. Time to hit Facebook. 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 I wonder what that's going to sound like on the podcast. 
men will become lovers of themselves. They will invent ways of being evil. Hello, September 11, 2001. How many of us said, who would ever have thought that someone would do something like that? In the last days, men will invent ways of being evil. They will come up with new ways to be evil. And we have ISIS and we have all of this radical thoughts and people doing weird and crazy stuff that, that, that people who are old today are saying, man, in my day, that would have never happened. And those people who are like my age, if God should tarry for another 20 or 30 or 40 years, I would be 80 then. And, and, and in that time, I would be saying, man, I would have never in my day thought that would have happened. But listen. In the last days, men will invent ways of being. So the church should not be going, we should say, hey, maybe God is telling us, let's get ready. Let's get ready. Let's get ready. I can't take my truck. Come on, somebody with me. And I can't take my house with me, but I can take my neighbor with me. And I can take my boss with me. And I can take my dad with me. Come on, somebody. I can't take my stuff, but I can take my people with me. And God is looking at us as a church. He's saying, come on, church, let me slap you in the face. Get ready because I'm getting ready. And you should get ready. And she should get ready. And he should get ready. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready because Jesus' church is coming back. This is the gospel of the cross. He said, I didn't die so that you could look good. I died so you could get your hands dirty in a dirty world so that you can be in the world but not of the world. Get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. If you don't have a neighbor, bring somebody to church next Sunday. So when I say, look at your neighbor, you got a neighbor. He's looking at his church, and he is saying, will you keep going? Or will you say, we should be getting ready because our king is getting ready to come back. That's the message of grace, that there's room at the cross for everybody. There's room at the cross for everybody. And you don't get to decide who goes to heaven. He decides who goes to heaven. Because the truth be told, if it was us deciding who gets to go to heaven heaven would be really small it would be like you and two or three other people I bet half your family wouldn't even make it into heaven that's just the truth you know it and I know it because you're laughing and shaking your hand like oh my gosh I gotta say amen to that one but I can't because they're here today but we don't get to decide Come on, somebody, just shout amen that you and I don't decide who makes it into the king's court. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? Because you've burned some bridges along the way, haven't you? You've, you've made some bad choices along the way. You've hurt some people along the way. And if it were up to us who made it into heaven, we would get cut out. We'd be left out. We would be on the outside looking in. But we don't decide that. Hypocrisy. God is allowing this stuff to happen. And let's never forget who is in control. Let's never forget. It is not the devil who is calling the shots. God is allowing him to do certain things. I believe it. But at the end of the day, God is still on the throne. It is not Satan on the throne. It is God, the God of eternity on the throne. And theology 101 is that God decides or allows things to happen. 
and he is allowing his word to come to pass. He wrote the word, and he's saying that there's not a thing in my word that will ever be a lie. So what we're seeing is he is allowing his word to come to pass. And he told us in his word, in the last days, these things will happen. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so when the devil thinks that he's winning with sin, God says, get ready because I'm sending a flood of my grace across America. And I truly believe, yeah, give God a praise. I'm telling you what, we're going to see souls saved in record numbers right here in our own backyard. And there's not a thing in hell, not a devil on this earth, not a demon on this planet or in hell that can stop a move of God. When God decides to start saving, people God the devil can't stop it but he's going to use us to do it and it won't always be your pastor on the mic from a pulpit that will do it it will be you in the workplace that will do it and it's going to cause some of us to have some courageous faith to start speaking out when we see injustice happening and say, no, 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 that's not the truth. That is not the truth. That is not what the truth says. Let me tell you, sir. Let me tell you, ma'am, what God's word says. So it's going to cause you to rise up and start speaking God's truth. But if we're living as hypocrites, no one will believe us. Galatians 2, verse 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives, what? In me. And the life that I now live, and the life that I now live, somebody say, the life that I now live, the life that I now live. Who do I live it in? What does the word say? In the life that I now live, I now live by faith in the Son of God, right? Who loved me and delivered himself or gave himself up for me. And the life that I now live, the life that I now live. Somebody say, the life I now live. Come on, don't say it with some say it with some meaning the life that i now live amen the life that i now live not the life that i used to live but the life that i'm living now see second corinthians 5 17 that says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation all things are passed away and everything has been made new so the life that i now live so some people know you how you used to live and when they want to come visit you, they go to that address where you used to live. And they come knocking on that door and they don't find you there because you've moved. Because the life I now live, I don't live it the way I used to live it anymore. 
and the stuff that you knew that I used to do, thank the Lord, that guy is dead and buried in a mountain with Jimmy Hoffa somewhere. But the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me enough as a sinner, as a wretched sinner, as someone who has lived in depravity and sin and wretched that someone no one, no one wanted anything to do with. Because some of us used to be bad. Bad to the bone. I mean, nobody, gangsters didn't want nothing to do with us. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. But God looked down on you and looked through all the junk and all the filth and all the depravity and all the stuff. And he began to push that stuff aside and push the sin aside. He pushed the pride away. He pushed the selfishness away. He pushed all the ugliness of the sin away. And he looked through all of that and said, down in there somewhere is someone who can be saved and pulled out. And now the life. I now live at my new address. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Give God a praise for that. See, the life I now live, some of you used to know me here when I lived here and you came over here to party and to smoke and to drink and to dope and rope a dope and all of that stuff but I moved from that address in fact I burned that house down don't tell anybody so I moved way over here and if you want to come visit me at my new life you're welcome over here but that guy doesn't live any longer Come on, somebody. The last time I checked, when you get saved, you get all the way saved. You don't get halfway saved or three-quarters of the way saved. Jesus' blood was enough to finish the work on the cross. We've got a bunch of believers that want to live one foot in with the gospel and one foot in the world. And, and when Jesus comes back, you're going to be left out. There's no room for that, Jesus says. That's a hard truth of the cross. Grace is a beautiful message. It says that you can come just as you are, but when I touch you, you better not stay as you were. He says, this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. That means there are going to be days in this life where I will get it wrong. Come on, somebody. See, the fact that we're left here after we're saved proves the fact that God's grace lasts day after day after day. Because there are days that in this new life, I still get it wrong. There are some days that I get it wrong. There are some days that the anger I thought I killed finds its way back into my life. And I have to repent of it. There are some days when I thought the pornography I killed finds its way back into my life. There are some days I thought when the abuse I kill finds its way back into my life. The alcohol I thought I kill finds its way back into my life. Are you here on my heart today, church? It doesn't mean, the cross doesn't mean that you're perfect. There is only one who is perfect. He is saying that there is enough grace, though, to cover every mistake that you're going to make. My grace abounds much more. So where there is sin, my grace can be found. Give God a praise. Come on, Christian. Come on, Christian. Come on, Christian. When we sin, there is grace for our sins. Amen. 
That is the good news of the cross and of God's grace. So he says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. He represented me on the cross. You know, when I think about this, I think about my brother and I growing up. He's over here. That when we were growing up, he's he's four years older than me, so I'll be 40 this year. You do the math. He's going to be. And so... And so growing up, being the old, he was being, him being the older brother, I being the baby of the family, there was few times that I did anything wrong, so I could jack something up, mess something up, and he would get the blame for it. And then I started figuring out how this was going. I was like, this is a pretty good racket I got going on here. And of course, the older I got, I couldn't get away with it as much anymore as I used to. But I can remember as kids, a lot of times, I, you know, I would break something, and he would get the blame for it. He'd say, John, you're older. You knew better. You should have helped your brother. You know? And I would look. I would never do anything like that, Dad. I would never do anything like that, Mom. But, but in a way, that's what the cross does. It takes our blame for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the stuff that we should be taking. He took it for us. He took the blame for us. So we're busy over here jacking stuff up, messing our life up, making a wreck of our marriage, making a wreck of our finances, making a wreck of our career. I mean, we're like, wreck it, Ralph. I'm going to wreck it. And we're just wrecking stuff. We're just busy wrecking stuff. And the cross takes all the stuff that we wrecked. And Jesus says, I'm going to take the blame for 100% of everything that you did. I'll take the blame for it. Give God a praise. That's what big brother did. (laughs) He took it to the cross and he took the blame for it. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he represented me on the cross. It was as if I was being crucified. He represented us on the cross. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, everyone say this out loud with me, lay aside every encumbrance, stop there, or every weight. I love to lift weights. That's how I get on the game train. I love to lift weights. But he says, not those kind of weights. He says, to lay aside every encumbrance or weight and the sin which so what? easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us the scripture goes on next slide please fixing our eyes on who the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God let us run this race Let us run this race. He says, let us run this race. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Look at your neighbor and say, keep running. There is a temptation, a movement in the kingdom of God right now, in the church of Jesus Christ, to give up. It's happening all around us. We see Christians belling their faith. I mean, like like, like a dumpster fire. We 
you see people jumping out of the plane quickly, bailing on the cross, bailing on the message of grace. We see it happening before us. There's a movement right now. There's a temptation across the church of Jesus Christ to get out while the getting's good. Because what's happening is we're being forced to choose sides. Are we not? Hello? Come on, somebody. If you call yourself a Christian, you are literally being pigeonholed by God right now. You better choose this day who you're going to serve. Because if you don't, the world's going to make that choice for you. I mean, literally, it's as if God has removed any of the gray line that there used to be. There's no more gray. That, that went out last week. It just did. I'm sorry, it just did. All the gray area just <gasps> vanished. <laughs> the gray area is gone. I believe it's nothing else. If you're not hearing anything else, maybe this message for you right now is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sir, don't give up. Ma'am, don't give up. I plead with you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because if you endure, you will receive a reward beyond your wildest dreams. Amen? That someday soon, we're going to enter into the very presence of God. And He will say, He will say, He won't send an ambassador he won't send an angel to do it for him. He will stand before you and say, well done, Aaron. Well done, John. Well done, Holly. Well done, Angel. Well done, Larry. Well done, Coleman. Welcome into you, your reward. Can you imagine one day standing before Jesus himself and him looking you eye to eye saying, well done. You did good. You ran hard. You pursued me. Here is your reward. You get to go to a place where there are no tears. Where, guys, we don't have to cut the grass. Praise the Lord for that. I mean, it's not in the Word. I'm just saying. Where weeds don't grow. But in all seriousness, he says, run this race. And I'm telling you, Dad. I'm telling you, Mom. I'm telling you, Grandparent. I'm telling you, single person. Don't give up. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. Keep pressing. Keep going hard day after day. Look at your neighbor with some conviction and say, don't give up. Resist it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Look at your neighbor and say, keep fighting. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. Keep pressing. Keep running hard. I got to close with this. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. This is out of the message verse. I'm not saying that I have this all together. He says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made in the shade, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. And friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal. I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. One more time. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. He says, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal 
where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. I stand to our feet all across this place. Paul is writing to the Philippians in Philippi, and he's telling them, and he, if anybody had a right to pen these words, Paul did. If anybody could have said they've got it all together, it would have been him. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I know I don't have this all together that I haven't made or that I'm well on my way, but I'm reaching out for Christ who has reached out for me. And I have my eye on the goal. You know, there's a term in football and baseball, pretty much in any sports that includes a ball, and that is keep your eye on the ball. If you do that, you're going to catch it. Golf, you're going to hit it, whatever it is. If you keep your eye on the ball, if you keep your eye on the goal, you're going to make it. The temptation is to give up. The temptation is to take your eye off the ball, to take your eye off the goal, to, to look behind you as if there is something back there for you. May I remind you that if you're in Christ, that old life is gone. Is there days and times in my life where I'm tempted to look back or where I do look back? Sure. But I resist that. I pull myself back. But so many of us get caught up where we used to be in those old distractions and those old relationships and all those bridges that we thought we burned. The enemy brings all that stuff back, doesn't he? He brings it all back. The stuff you thought you buried, the stuff you thought you had conquered, he finds a way to bring it back. And it starts tapping you on the shoulder. And the temptation is to turn around and see who's back there. Can I tell you, don't look back. Don't give up. Keep your eye on the prize. Look at the cross. Look to Jesus. Stare at him. Focus on him. And you will have the life that God intended you to have. You will. You will see his reward, I believe, in this lifetime. But it takes us with some perseverance. It takes us with some guts to stand up for what we believe in. Don't give up, sir. Ma'am, don't give up. Don't look back. Resist the temptation when it taps you on the shoulder to turn around. Just ignore it and stay focused. We're going to sing and worship the Lord before we move on. We sang this song a little earlier. As we do, I want you just to worship God. Focus on Him. Let Him be the center of our attention during worship. Amen. As we sing this song, as we worship God, let Him be our focus today.
loving the world and hating the dark. Sing it out with us. none beside thee. Sing it out. He is the God, God Almighty. He is the great I am. mountains. The mountains shake before you. Sing it out. At the mention of your name. Of your name, King of Majesty. Do you believe it? There is no power in him or in you. Sing it out. Lift your hands.
give God a praise in this place today. Our elders and our prayer partners join me at the front. We're going to conclude today a little different. I was unclear how to uh, how to end today, but the clarity comes when we wait upon the Lord. Amen. And including me, sometimes you just got to be patient and wait on the Lord. What we're going to do, if you're guests for the first time today, we conclude every time we're together in a time of prayer. We believe in the infallible Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, if it's in there, in those pages, we believe it is for us today. Amen. James chapter 5 tells us that we can call for the elders of the church. We can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And, by the, and through the prayer of faith of the righteous, they shall be healed. And we believe in that. We want you to find healing today. But before we go, I want to, I feel like there needs to be a commissioning today. I mean, as we're celebrating July the 4th and, you know, our men and women that serve the military, there's a commissioning process that happens when you join the military. They commission you. Into the military, you take an oath, if you will, our police officers, etc. There's an oath that's taken, and and we we as soldiers of the cross serve a king. Amen. We we serve our Lord. It is not him who serves us, we serve him. Amen. He's done enough serving for us. It's our turn to serve him. And so I just want to commission you today. We're to go out into all the world. That's the great commission, Matthew 28, 18. It's not the great suggestion. Jesus didn't look at them and say, hey, if you feel up to it, do you mind telling people about what I did for you on the cross? I'm just saying, if it fits into your schedule, if you can find a way to work it out in some conversations, if it works out for you, if it doesn't, that's okay. But if you get a chance, maybe share what I did on the cross. I don't think some people might like it. I don't know. It'll offend some people, I'm sure. No, no, no. He says, when you go out into the world, when, when you go out into all the world, into Samaria and Judea and all the parts of this planet, as the word travels, tell them about the cross. Amen. Tell them that there's room at the cross for them. Let them know that there is hope, that it's not hopeless. If America needs a message today, it is that there is hope for them. Amen? And it doesn't come. Come on, somebody. And no man is going to give them hope. The only hope they have is through Jesus Christ. And if the church remains silent, how will they ever know? So I just want to commission us one more time as saints, as soldiers, as Christ followers. The Great Commission. Let us go out into all the world preaching the good news, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, I just thank you today for your word. Well, I believe that our hearts have been stirred today by the gospel, as it should. I believe some of us have been convicted in our walk that it's not where it needs to be, as we should be convicted, including myself, Lord. May we when you return, be found busy about your work, not busy about ours. May we loyal and ta- loyal and, and toil and labor over over your work and not ours, God. Lord, as we go out into the world, we know that there's persecution. We know that the enemy has a target on us, but greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And Lord, I just thank you today that you have equipped your saints, that you have given us the Holy Spirit, 
that we can have the power of the same the same spirit that raised you from the dead dwells in us and we can walk in boldness and faith and confidence knowing that we are a child a son or daughter of the most high may we be busy about your work sharing the gospel of jesus christ preaching the good news of the cross that jesus was crucified that he died and had a real resurrection and is in heaven preparing a place for those who decide to follow him the good news of the gospel must be preached to all the world we thank you lord that you are sending us out today not to keep it for ourselves but as we leave these four walls to share the good news with our waiter our waitress with those at our workplace our loved ones to share the good news of the gospel of jesus christ God's people said, amen. So be give God a praise today as we close out.